All right, Luke 15 is where we're going to be this morning. Still going to be there this week and next week, and who knows? We may be there for a couple more months. Um, it's a great thing about God's word is you can't get to the end of it or the bottom of it. Um, so that's what we're doing right now. We're looking at the parable of the lost coin in the series of parables within the series of the red letter series. And so um, today we're going to take a step further in this parable. So I'm going to read the whole thing, tell you what we did last week and where we're going today. This is uh, Luke um, 15. And, uh, and so the parable begins in verse 8. Or what woman, woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin? That's where we stopped last week. We talked about how God in Genesis 1 created the world good, and then once he finished, he called it very good, complete, whole, perfect, lacking nothing, and yet something was fractured in the disobedience of man. And so we overviewed that. Um, we left humanity really in a desperate state last week where our purpose in life to bear God's image has been fractured, so we're not doing that. And then the functions God gave us to bear that image in the idea of community, he created marriage, um, and, and, that, and that transcends on to children and, and a deeper sense of community. That was fractured. It's why we have marital problems today. It's why we have parent-kid problems today. It's why we have social, society relational problems today. That community aspect of man, his function to bear the image of God in that way, has been fractured. Uh, dominion over the earth has been fractured. It's become abused. It's become a sense of industry as opposed to, I'm going to go out and grow what I need to eat. It's become something different from that. And so it really left us in a real fractured state last week going, well, what about the, the single mom who has been through the ringer and doesn't sense that God's calling her to get remarried? Where's the hope for her? What about the, the lady who's never been married, the man who's never been married, who has no children? Are they not participating in God-given function to multiply? And, and, and what about those situations where we've grown up in homes where dad is absent and so now we're called to be dads or mom is absent or, and we're called to be mom? Where does that leave humanity? So what we're going to do today is come back to the fixing. We talked about the, the fracturing agent was sin. So today we're going to talk about the fixing agent of Jesus. Next week we'll talk about how he redeemed that in our lives individually, that if that's the case, you don't have to go get married to participate in your function to bear the image of God. Matter of fact, Paul will say this, if you're single and you come in, just stay single. Hold the phone. Don't complicate things. If you're married when you come in, stay married. And so we'll get to that as God begins to kind of restore uh, and redeem the functions of man. But today we're going to look specifically at what he has done first to fix it. So here we go, the next phrase in the parable. So she lost one. This is what she does. She lights a lamp and sweeps the house and seeks diligently until she finds it. It's proposed in a kind of a question here to us uh, from Jesus. So, so what woman, having... Ten silver coins loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. So now what we're going to do is take that same approach in looking at what has been done. So the first thing she does is what? Light a lamp. Okay? Very simple metaphor. Uh, it gets used a lot in Scripture. Uh, it gets used a lot to describe two specific things in God's story to us. Okay? This is what we're looking at, God's story unfolding. And in uh, two ways, then, God has shined or shown a light on us. So let's look before Jesus and, and, and what God has done from the point of the fracture until Jesus gets here. I think it would be helpful for us to, for us to go back to Genesis 3 for a moment because we're going to see both versions of the light 
in Genesis 3, starting in verse 8, in how God responds to Adam. Okay? Now, Adam and Eve have, have, um, have disobeyed God. We saw that last week. They both switched roles and got completely out of function, sinned, and things were fractured. The first thing they did was hid themselves. Okay? So let's think about that for just a minute. They've hid themselves. They've created shadow. They've created a hiding place to cover their sin. Now, God hasn't spoken into their disobedience yet. Okay? As a matter of fact, he's going to ask a question. Look at verse 8. Uh, verse eight yeah. And they heard, this is Genesis 3, verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves. So they've already hid the parts of their body. Now they're hiding themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But look at what God asks. He said, but the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then look at God's question. Who told you you were naked? Now think about that. Before God ever shows up, they're hiding themselves and he's saying to Adam, who told you you did the wrong thing? Now think about that. How did Adam know to hide? Because God had given a rule. God's law has already spoken to Adam. Now think about that. Before God ever shows up, that simple rule God gave has begun to illuminate something is wrong. This is what we call God's law. Okay? So the entire Old Testament, until Jesus comes into the scene, is people being exposed, right? God shines a light on humanity. How did David know he was in sin? How did he know that? Because the law reflected that to him, right? The, 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 the law revealed that to him. When, when God comes to Noah and he sees the wickedness of men, how, how did we know there was wickedness? Because God's law had exposed that. And think about that. These, these humanity moving forward, growing, increasing. We'll overview this next week if we get time. And population um, didn't fix the matter. All it did was kind of amplify what went wrong. And, and the law is there as this reflector, as we'll find out, of who God is to the people. So the people were without excuse. When they killed people... Right? I mean, the law said that's wrong. When a man went next door, like David did, and took another man's wife, the law said, David, that's wrong, and, and exposed it. But the second part is this, if you'll notice in what we just read, is God shows up. So first, the law was shining light on Adam and Eve, so they hid themselves, or they, they covered themselves. But then God shows up, and, and really the, the, the source of the light shows up, and now what? They further hide themselves. And so we have two versions of the light. One is the law, but God himself shows up. Now, it's interesting how the New Testament talks about the light of the law and what it does. But here's an important thing. Let's look at Hebrews 10.1 together. You can just look on the screen if you want. Here's what Hebrews 10 is a really good chapter teaching about the relationship of the law and sin. But just 10.1 is all we're going to look at. It says this, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. Okay, stop right there. What is that saying to us? Well, when we think shadow, we automatically think darkness, which is fine, but shadow really is a silhouette of a reality. Okay, so like I'm looking at my shadow. That's not really me. It's a silhouette of me. 
okay? And so the way the Hebrews is describing the law really is a reflector of the greater reality. So the, the law itself reflects who God is. That's how Adam knew he was in sin. The law stood there and reflected who God was to Adam, okay? But the law itself is not the source of the light. Are you tracking with that? Are you following me here? So when God shows up as the source of the light. So if I took a mirror, okay, I don't have a mirror, anything that reflects really well. If I took a mirror from one of these bright stage lights and I shined it down onto the floor, the mirror itself is not the source of the light. It's a reflector. It's an image bearer. It reflects that to something else. And that's what the law was to humanity. Now, it's important to understand this. Because all the law does is show you where you're wrong. It doesn't do anything to fix you. Right? It doesn't do anything to fix what's wrong. It just says, here's where the sin is. And so Hebrews says that the law then, the, the, the law of God was but a shadow of the good things to come. Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near to God. Law can't fix you. All it can do is expose you. Okay? And so this is how humanity moved forward from this point. So when Jesus comes then, it's no wonder how John describes him. Right? In, in John chapter 1, we're introduced to the Word, capital W. It's talking about Jesus. He's the Word. He was with God in the beginning, and he was God in the beginning. Look at chapter, I mean, verse 4 in John 1. And you can turn here. We're going to read a couple of verses. John 1, so if you're in Luke, go to the right. John 1, we're introduced to Jesus. In verse 4, look at how he describes Jesus. Looking backwards first to creation, in him was life. So where did you and I get our life? From him. Think about that. God breathed life into an inanimate object and made it come alive. Like we can like, debate that all you want to, but when you die, you will, right, you will breathe out life. You're last. You'll, breathe, you'll quit breathing and you'll turn back to dirt. It's the way we were created. He breathed life into us. He was the source of life. And the life was, was the what? The light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, talking again about Jesus, and the darkness has not overcome it. So while we, people were here on earth waiting on the Messiah, the Savior to come, the law was reflecting who God is to people, and even though there was this, this growing darkness in humanity, this perpetual sin issue, the, what John wants you to understand is this, that darkness doesn't have the final word. Dar darkness doesn't win. Uh, I think Cam was talking about with the kids' ministry a few weeks ago, we trying to illustrate this with the kids. And so it's like if we shut this room off completely black and I bring out the smallest source of light, it wins. Right? Like, so darkness doesn't win here. But then he goes more specific. Verse 6, he talks about John the Baptist, how there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the what? The light. Make no mistake, there, John wasn't the light. He was just saying, get ready, here comes the source of the light. That reflection we've been seeing is about to show up here in reality that all might believe through him. Verse 8, he was not the light, right? He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, the true light. It's important that you understand that. The true light, the source of the light, the real light which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world, talking about Jesus. This is how John wants to introduce Jesus to us. 
He was the source at the beginning. This reflection of light we've been seeing here on earth since, since, since the fracture to now is the reflection of him. And get ready, God's about to show up. The source of life, the source of light himself. Okay, let's make this more practical then. So then, that's important. Why? Because the law never needs to be elevated above God. And we live in a culture where that gets confusing. Okay? And if the law of God ever gets elevated or even equal to God, we begin to slip into what's called moral deism. We get to worship morality over God. It's like worshiping the mirror instead of the spotlight. You see the difference? This one's useful. It's a tool. It's an accurate representation of who God is. But if we're not careful, especially in our culture, we'll worship morality. And so we make our time together and our discussion about the Bible, our our discussion about spiritual growth, is primarily then about morality and not much about God. You see how that gets flipped upside down? So, God gave the law to illuminate, but it's not a document to be worshipped. Okay? It's real. But understand this, light in and of itself shows up to reflect reality, imperfection. So when you go to the mirror in the morning, you turn on the light to see where you're imperfect, right? But the light doesn't fix anything on you, does it? It just exposes. But it's also important to understand that the law doesn't just accept what it sees. It exposes it and says, here's a problem here. So then we need someone, we need a hero to the story, don't we? It's not enough just to be convicted and go, oh, I'm wicked, I'm wrong, I'm, I've been sinning. We need, we need a hero to the story. And so if we read the rest of uh, Hebrews 10, you would see this, but summarized in Galatians chapter 3. Let's just look at a summary. 23, this is 323 Galatians. Now before faith came... We were held captive under the law. So that law that was exposing sin in our lives was really like, like a slave owner to us. Shackled us like a, like a prison keeper. Didn't set you free, just showed you where you were wrong, and in doing so put shackles on you. So we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until something. Until what? Until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. That is a a summary of explaining how Jesus becomes the hero of the story. He comes up not just to teach us how to be good, not just to teach us what love is. He comes to do something with his life, death, and resurrection in us, to us, and through us to unshackle us from what was fractured in the beginning. All right. Now, you got a good handle on what the light is then, right? She lights a lamp. She's got to see what's going on. So this is what the law does for us. But then there's more activity in the parable in Luke. 15. She does not light a lamp and then sweep the house. Then, then seek diligently. Make no mistake here. This is not presenting God as a desperate janitor, okay? It's the idea that God has been proactive, and I love, what, I love this metaphor, this imagery here. It's a cleansing that takes place. Right? It's not just hide and seek, God running around looking for things, looking for flipping up cushions or whatever, trying to find things. The way God goes about it is he cleanses, he cleans to restore what has been broken. Now, 
this is going to play out twofold for us, and I really want this to hit home in our lives today as we look at this, this sweeping action, this cleansing action of what God has done. I want you to turn to Isaiah 53 with me. This is a prophecy of what the hero would do when he gets here. This is in the Old Testament. If you go to the middle, like the Psalms, and go to the right, you're going to hit, uh, like you're going to hit Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Keep going. You're going to start seeing books named after men. These are prophets, and so um, Isaiah is the first of these. It's right after um, Song of Solomon, Isaiah 53. Just going to look at two verses together, and then we're going to talk about it. So this is a prophet Isaiah. God speaking through him. Okay. So this is God, the spotlight who's been shining and reflecting off the law into humanity, he's going to speak about coming himself to fix the issue. And so this is him describing his son who would come, and just looking at five and six, this is what will happen to his son. He was speaking in past tense. I love how God speaks in the past, talking about the future in past tense. Like, that's incredible. I love it when he does that. He speaks about what he's going to do as if it's already happened. So he was, he has, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That sounds like fixing the problem to me, doesn't it to you? Say I'm sending a hero. He's going to fix the problem. Verse 6. I'll tell you what, sorry, the last line of 5 is really important. And with his stripes... We are healed. So here's how the hero is going to fix the fracturing. It, it doesn't look real pretty in this verse, does it? Somehow everything that happened there and everything that's happened since is going to be put on him. And then it's going to, it's going to be put on him in such a way it's going to cause affliction and wound. Stripes. These are not pretty stripes. These are not stars and stripes. Deep in the heart of Texas kind of stuff. This is lashes across his flesh, wounds. By those stripes, we find our healing, our fixing from Genesis 3. Look at verse 6. All we, just so we understand, all we like sheep have gone astray. So this is not God just fixing a few broken people. He's saying everybody is broken. We've all gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has then laid on him, this coming hero, the iniquity, the sin of us all. Okay. Stop for just a minute, take a step back, think about last week. The fracturing agent of humanity was sin. We agree on that? Adam and Eve didn't just trip and fall down and the image of God was fractured. They, they were disobedient. It was sin. Okay? So that's the fracturing agent. So if God's going to fix the image, he's got to fix the sin problem. We just need to understand that. Second to that, we need to understand what was fractured. Mainly our image of who God is. Okay? So really the law kind of came as like a, like a stepson doing what we were supposed to be doing as humanity. That's what Adam was supposed to do to Eve, be a reflector of the law. And so the law has come reflecting who God is to people. And so if the fracturing is going to be fixed, God's going re- to restore that image-bearing component of humanity. This is going to be beautiful. We'll get there next week more specifically. But then... In that is going to be, he's going to restore the functions, which are this idea, this idea of community, this idea of having real mission. He's going to restore and fix those things. So here's what we need to understand. And this, this plays out 
practically for us because, like, there's an illusion um, in Christianity that if your marriage is in trouble, you need to come to church. Or if my life is disarray, I need to go seek counseling. Um, If um, I'm struggling in my relationships, I need then some therapy and I need some tools on how to interact, okay? Now, all those things belong in a bucket and a box that can be labeled possibly useful, okay? Not just crediting counseling, therapy, practical tools on how to interact, the love languages, good book to read, practical stuff, but that, those things belong in a box with a label that says possibly useful, and, and here's what we need to hear. If you want this function restored, this image restored, right, you want to be functional instead of dysfunctional, we have to fix the sin issue. You know that's the reason you have trouble in your marriage. No, it's, it's communication. Mm-hmm. Do you know why you get so angry so quickly? Do you know why you're so selfish? Do you know why she or he has a problem with you? Sin. So, so the sin issue is the root of it all. So this disillusionment, I come to church to get my marriage fixed, is goofy. You need to come to the foot of the cross in repentance. And from there then, you can begin evaluating the toolboxes of things possibly useful. Fair enough? So, and, and we see this in Isaiah 53. Like, the thing that's going to fix you is I'm going to take your sin and evil and death, I'm going to put it on my son. This is what's ultimately going to be the catalyst to fix you. Here's what we have to understand, okay? Just a simple imagery here. I don't know if you were aware of the thing, the, um, the car that got out of control in Lake Worth a few weeks ago and killed several people, including mainly children. Um, my mom works at the Cook's ER, and that was an incredible incredibly rough day for, for the ER there because before that they had found that SUV turned upside down on the east side with a lot of children in it. They were already working there. Then comes the children from Lake Worth. Um, I think, the, I can't remember how old that girl was that they actually pronounced deceased at Cook's. And then right after that took place, Careflat brought in a three-year-old who had been abused to death. Okay, so it was a rough day for them. So anytime that happens, mom keeps me on the short list and texts me, hey, pray. Just pray for us. Give us strength, God's wisdom. And so one of the events that happened was when they had to tell the dad of the little girl in Lake Worth that his daughter was killed. And here's, here's how it happened for him as he explains it. He was walking with her in her hand in his hand, and she was ripped from him. Okay? So think about that imagery and how that felt for him. Re-rack that situation, him understanding what's coming, he would have gladly switched hands and taken the spot, Right? He would have gladly taken her place in that event so that she could live to see another day. Okay? Now, that's, that's, that's the small idea of what Jesus has done because it wasn't just an event. He didn't just like, take your place in one event. Like, he took your place in the story, the event of human history. So it's important to understand that what Jesus did on the cross, taking my, he was literally substituting for me. It was like him having my hand right here and said, no, let me take it. So everything that happened to him was supposed to happen to me. Now, this plays out incredibly practical in our lives today as human beings, two ways, and we need to hear them both right now. There's two situations going in here, on in this room, and some of us are um, captives of both of them. Okay? One is the participation in sin. 
It's incredibly destructive. It's the curse of death. It's shackling, it's binding. So for every person in the room, that is us at some point, and we need a hero to come, not just show us where we're wrong, but we actually need the source to come and, and unshackle us. Okay? And here's how that happens. You turn to Jesus alone, period. Okay? You can't undo your stuff. You can't. It's not come to Jesus, he pats you on the back and says, I forgive you, now go get busy fixing those things. You, you can't fix them. Okay? But here's the thing we have to understand about sin. It's not just about me and an event or me and something I said, me and something I did. Sin operates as a mediator in relationship. It's a horrible mediator, but it does. Like my sin affects somebody. This is why when David's praying his confession, he says what? God against you and you alone have I sinned. Sin was a negative like mediator between David and God. But it also operates as a mediator between me and other people. My sin affects other people. Okay? Here's why I'm explaining this to us. I think it's real easy to get stuck in this silo of it's just me and my sin, just me and my sin, and not realize that there's oftentimes a recipient to the things that we do. And you need to hear this. Sometimes when we get into, into Christ and we look back, we see what we've been saved from, but then we think about how am I going to go undo all that stuff? What Jesus did on the cross, okay, he was undoing it all. Well, that person's still mad at me. I understand that. But he's undoing it all. So let's talk about now this other part of it where you're the recipient of somebody else's sin. Because that's a reality for some of you in this room. Actually, for all of us, if you're married. Okay? Let's start small. The, maybe the little spat you had on the way to church this morning or boom, busted, right? Okay? So sin, your sin affected somebody else. We need to understand that what Jesus did on the cross. This is a, so if you're the recipient now, you need to think about that. Your, sin, your, your spouse has just been a jerk to you. Um, if they are in Christ, God has, God has made them righteous. And though their actions aren't fully displaying that yet, like, we need to think about that. What, what has landed on you has been undone at the cross. Now, let's take it deeper and harder for those who have truly been in a place of, like, I would call maybe victim. There is a place for the term victim when especially an oppressor, an oppressor's sin directly affects you. And so I'm thinking of things like um, when some of you were children, sexual molestation. Let's think about that. Isn't it strange that when a child has been sexually molested, they grow up thinking that they did something wrong? Why is that? Because they experienced sin. Doesn't mean they initiated it, but it still affected them. And there's still a shackling that takes place many times. Some of you have been mistreated sexually. I, 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 I can't shine a light on that. I just, I know it's present in this room. Some of you have been abused physically. Abuse comes in a lot of different forms. Not going to go out on too many limbs, but physical abuse, there is a form of verbal abuse. There's a, ver a version of abuse that's abandonment that looks a whole lot like what we read in Genesis 3 last week. Dad, when, it, when a dad abandons his post, that's abuse to the family. Okay? When, 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 when mom gets to that point in parenting where it's like frustrated to the max, yeah, but then doesn't check herself and 
overreacts, overresponds. This is the, this is the image of God being fractured. This mom component being fractured, and it's it's sin, it's abuse. Now, just because you're in the spot of victim, you need to hear this. Doesn't mean you don't need Jesus on the cross. You go, wait a second. It's not my sins. I understand that, but you've been affected by sin that needs to be undone. And so here's what you need to hear, okay? This is why we can't just stop with Jesus is the hero of the story because he died on my place on the cross. He has to resurrect for it to be a complete gospel. Why? Because that's the place where he displays victory over sin, both for the sin committer and the sin recipient, if you want to word it that way. And it's not, it's not fair for the victim to have to experience that, okay? But here's what Christ would say to you. I have victory over that in your life. I want to set you free from that too. See how we need to hear both? It's not just one way or the other. It's both. Like, I look at then my experience with my dad and, and how his sins have affected me. If, I, if I'm not careful, I'll just say, well, I'm the victim, so I don't need, I don't need stripes here, right? I, I didn't do any of that. And God says, yes, you do. You need the stripes. You need to be, it's by his wounds we are what? Healed. I need to be healed. And so this idea that Jesus is cleansing is not just taking the checklist on a dry erase board and going all the things you've done wrong and just erasing them. It's him redeeming every event, every situation that you've been involved in that is the direct result or effect of sin. It's called the curse of sin. He becomes the curse for us. He dies and he raises from the dead. He looks at death in the face and says, you'll have no victory over me. And from here on, you'll have no victory over those who are in me. He looks at sin and says, yeah, you're a fantastic prison warden. The, the law shows up and, and shows you where to work. Think about that. Sin, you are great at shackling people. But Jesus says to sin, you'll have victory over my people no more. Those who believe on me will be set free. So, then, Jesus then didn't just come to set a good example, show us how to be good, did he? He didn't just die on the cross for our sins. He died, he resurrected to heal us of sin. I hope you're feeling that today. I hope some of you are going to participate in that today. Like for the first time you're realizing both your sin problem and then other people's sin problem in your life and how the two have shackled and, and held you together. And today you would declare, my Savior has victory over all this. And I hope you'll participate in that today. It, it helps us understand then this beautiful promise from the Apostle John in his first letter, 1 John 1, 9, where he says what? If you'll confess your sin, God will be what? Faithful and just to forgive. But there's another component. What is it? To forgive you and to say it. Say it out loud. Cleanse us. That's right. So let's just do something real quick, okay? This is not crowd manipulation. I just want you to hear you say this out loud. Um, I want you to say, I'm going to give you a phrase and I want you to say it back, okay? This is just us participating verbally in what we just heard. Jesus has died on the cross so I want you to say that. Jesus has died on the cross to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me 
of everything. You just took hold of what the word of God is promising to you. It was bad enough that the woman lost one co- the coin and humanity as a whole, this, this perfect thing was fractured. But then we get this description of a Messiah who comes, he lights a lamp. And the way he does that, he shows up himself. He lights a lamp, he sweeps, and then he seeks diligently. This is where we're gonna end. So if you have this image of Jesus running around the house cleaning, flipping up cushions and looking underneath stuff, close, but that's not really the imagery I think we're supposed to get in mind in this parable. This seek diligently is to seek thoroughly, completely. Okay? So yes, diligent. You could look at his life and go, he was pretty diligent. I mean, in 33 years, right? No other human has accomplished as much. He was diligent, but not only was he diligent, hardworking, he was thorough. And you need to hear this one more time, one more time. If you are in Christ, the cleansing work in your life is complete. It's thorough. It's diligent. It's not the process of being forgiven. It's being completely undone, forgiven. Man, that's beautiful. It's why Paul gets so bold in Romans 8. If you're in Christ, there is therefore now. Like that does that every week. Let's just count on that, okay? That's, that's the time warning to, to land the sermon. I get it. I get it. Okay. So, th- so we can proclaim this boldly together, right? We can make a song about it and sing it every Sunday. Therefore, there is no condemnation. How much? None for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then what becomes the motivating factor for me as I live as a Christian? The law? Nope. Grace. And this is where we're going to go next week. Let's pray together. And as you um, consider praying with me now, I'm going to lead us, and I want you to be thinking about how you need to respond um, as the worship team comes back up. So today, um, God has presented himself as the hero in the story to you and to me. And the way he wants to, to like carry out his mission in your life is he wants to unshackle you. Okay? So there's not another version of rescue here. It's the thing he wants to do for you. So in order to be rescued, we've got to find a place of humility in front of him where we say, I need to be rescued. Okay? That's where this lands on you today and me today. So I don't know where you are. If you are a Christian here today and you're just once again realizing the deeper impact of the cross on your life, or maybe once again, or, or further realizing the deep implication of the wounds on Jesus, that it's not just forgiving you, but it's cleansing you and it's healing you. Or if you're a person here today who is not a Christian and you thought the church was the place to get things fixed and you realize that it's not a place, it's a person that I'm after here. Um, maybe today you realize for the first time, church can't fix the thing that's broken in me. I need a hero. So for you, I would, I would ask that you would Either stay where you're seated, come to the front, or go talk to one of our prayer partners in the back. And today you would participate in this great rescue. You can do that yourself. You can do that with the help of one of our prayer partners. But it's the process of coming to Jesus yourself and and acknowledging. Now today I get it. I get it while they they beat you. I get it why they, they put stripes on your back. Those are supposed to be mine. And so, Jesus, I today own my sin in your presence. I acknowledge that you took my place. 
And I'm asking that you not only forgive me, but you do the whole cleansing thing we just talked about. You undo what has been done in my life. Both the things I've done and the things I've, I've received from somebody else. God, would you undo it all right now? The foot of the cross. Let me pray for us. God, you are the hero. And so today I pray that in this room you would be the hero of our lives. That we would not stand to sing flippantly. I pray actually, God, before one word comes out of our mouth, that you would let the full impact of the cross land on our souls. God, you would shake us deep within who we are. And in that shaking, that the facade would come off, this pretending to be churchy would come off. I pray that in you, working in our hearts this morning, that we would be set free from being people pleasers as a, as a, as a way to convince people that we're good, that we would God, let go of this idea of, of, of self-righteousness to prove that we're good, that we would own the fact that we're not this morning and that we need a hero. So God, come work among us now. I pray in Jesus' name.